Hey guys, welcome back to Pucks and Pages. My name is Steven, that is my lovely wife, Liberty. We're a married couple with different hobbies. Steven is a sports enthusiast. You wouldn't know it right now. <laughs> while I am a bookworm. And we like to force our hobbies upon each other with the latest news in books and sports. As I'm learning every week, this is not everybody's favorite episode, but it's personally my <laughs> favorite episode, the sports episode. Books all the way. Yes, all the way down it seems. Well, but if you're ready to get into it. I, I guess so. Where do you want to start this week? I know that the NHL has been like all over the place lately for you, so. Well, because people don't want it first. So, we'll start with Major League Baseball. We now have a new World Series winner. Yeah. LA is getting another championship. It's kind of scary because the Rams are also a good football team this year. It could football be- team? Yes, but I'm saying, you're talking about L.A. championships. There's a chance that there could be a third championship this year in L.A. I I thought we were about to go off the rails. No, just a quick, (laughs) quick, like, sidebar, like, whoop, and then back, right back to where we are. Um, But, yeah. It it could be L.A.'s year for some reason. Yeah. The worst year goes to the worst city. Yeah. Sounds perfect. Yeah, right. Um, but yeah, no, it, it's great for the Dodgers in the sense that like they've been so many times so close and then just fall apart every year it seems. So like, I think as Dodgers fans, they're like, they keep getting this taste of like, there's a chance for glory. There's a chance for glory. And then it's just, gotcha. We tricked you. Haha. April fools. You know? So as a Dodgers fan that I know, at least the Dodgers fans I do know are like over the moon, like finally it happens. Well, I mean, it's not like it's a 100 plus year hiatus between championships 32 years so pretty pretty long time i mean it's not a once in a lifetime thing apparently no No. for some people it is the first time in their lifetime though that's That's the thing so uh, you know shoot first time in our lives i was gonna say most of the people our age that are my friends that are dodgers fans it is the first time in their lifetime so like you know shy of being like maybe two or three years old they wouldn't remember that so it is the first time you know they're experiencing it so it was a controversial game six, to say the least. Yeah. A lot of weird things kind of happened in the game. Uh, obviously, like Blake Snell being pulled after only giving up two hits and no runs in five and a third innings. Like That you can't, is weird. You can't argue statistics to me. He only threw 73 pitches. A starting pitcher on a normal year is good into the 100 range, usually speaking, particularly in an elimination game. Like, you don't pull your ace Unless he's getting to that 100 pitch count and he's not anywhere near it. He was at 73. So it's like, let the man pitch at least the rest of the inning, you know? Let him get through six. Yeah, I don't know what they were thinking with that, but I also don't understand baseball. So the, maybe there is something there that I didn't know. The manager's argument was statistically after that many pitches, he does not become that great of a pitcher. But it's like, he's in a rhythm. He's given up two hits, no runs. The bottom of the order is what would have been coming up to him in the sixth inning if he would have been able to, if they would have let him complete the fifth inning. Right. So it's like, you have a seven, eight, nine guy in the batting order. He's probably going to get through six. Like, let your bullpen get more time to warm up. Like, don't don't rush him mid-inning, you know? It's right. just, That's <sighs> something that I don't like is whenever a team does not give someone a chance, like, they go, oh, at this point we're going to cut you off because statistically, blah, 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 blah. Like, I understand statistics are important, especially in baseball of all sports, but, like, there's this weird thing that happens in sports where, like, you can throw statistics out the window because there's some underlying element that just 
drives people, especially when it comes to championships. So, like, why are you not giving him a chance to, like, reach that point? Right. It's an elimination game, aces in, and it's a similar situation to, like, when Giolito was throwing that no-hitter. Like, statistically, yes, he should not have stayed in the game, but at the same time, when the hand is hot, let the freaking hand do its job and throw more strikes and possibly win the game for you. It just doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. And, like, don't get me wrong, Blake Snell had only thrown one complete game this season. So, like, I, I get the argument. I do. But You have to let him get to the point where he's going declining. down that right. hill before you actually just pull him. Because, right. like, for all you know, he was a quarter of the way up the hill. He wasn't even going to go down this game or whatever. Right. So He's practically two-thirds of the way through the game, and he's only given up two hits. Like, let the man continue to pitch. It's just, it's mind-boggling. And... I felt so bad for him because you could tell in his post-game interview that he was like, I, I'm frustrated because like I wanted to win the game for my team. But at the same time, he's like, I can't be mad at my manager. And I'm like, you have every right to be mad at your manager. Is this the pitcher for LA or the other team? For the other team. The yeah. So yeah. like, this is especially bad when you're about to be eliminated and your pitcher is still doing well. And then you just decide to pull him for no reason. Like, it doesn't make any sense. The Dodgers were practically ineffective against him. It's just like, I don't know, just seems really like a poor decision. I'm surprised nothing has happened with that coach. The the owner said that he believes in statistics, so he supports the manager on the decision. But at the same time, a lot of the players and a lot of players around the MLB are like, just like, this makes no sense. Confused, yeah. Yeah, it's it's Well, if you've been around sports for any significant length of time and as someone who's been following hockey for 13 years I really think there is something there that statistics can't account for especially during the playoffs there's some human element that can't be accounted for in the numbers and you have to give it a chance to breathe and do its thing do its job and when you don't let that happen you lose and don't win the championship and so like I think maybe people need to stop relying on the numbers. Well, like statistically, people perform, especially very competitive people, perform better in the playoff situations. Like, and I'm going to go back to a little league moment for me. During the regular season, I was batting about 286, which is okay. It's not great. It's not fantastic. But during the elimination tournaments for trying to win the title for the league, I was batting over 500. So it's just like there are people that have that competitive spirit like Blake Snell, who has honestly been one of their best pitchers all season and through the playoffs. It's just like, just trust the guy, man. Let him do his thing. He's paid exorbitant amounts of money to do this job. Let him do his job. Right. You know. In other Major League Baseball news. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Tangent of mine. It's all right. So, apparently the Mets are extending Marcus Stroman a one-year $18.9 million qualifying offer prior to the deadline on Sunday. Yeah, he's an RFA. And so, the industry actually expects him to decline the offer and go into free agency. I don't know who this is. But that's a lot of money to turn down. So I don't know if he's just that hot and like he thinks he'll get more money he or is. or what is going on. But $18.9 million sounds, especially to someone who really only knows hockey contracts, yeah. that sounds like a whole lot of money. Well, what's crazy is the Mets didn't play that poorly this year. And they had owners that were pretty much checked out. Like they didn't want 
to be a part of the team anymore organization-wise, hence why they sold the organization. And the new owner is notorious for throwing money at teams that he owns. He owns partially a Premier League team. I'm forgetting which team it is right now, but he's got money in a lot of sporting organizations all around the world, and his investment group is notorious for throwing more money at salaries. So it's like, dude, they're giving you $18 million for one season. And they're almost giving you nineteen million dollars for right. one season. That's and, insane. And you're gonna be on a team where when it comes to spending, guaranteed the Mets are gonna go out and get some players in free agency this year, without a doubt. Like they're gonna get some very solid players and build around them. So. My question is, do they not have a salary cap in major league baseball? There is, but you can pay a luxury tax for going over it. Then why do you even have a cap at all? Because the MLB likes to make extra monies. Well, that's just ridiculous. <laughs> it is and it isn't. It's part of the reason for so many years the Yankees have always been so dominant is because the Steinbrenner family spends so much money on players, but they also get returns like nobody's business in monies. So it's really not a, a lose-lose situation for them to pay the luxury tax. I will never understand luxury tax. You're spending too much money. Give us more money. Yeah. Anyway. I don't know who this person is, but you're telling me he's pretty hot right now. So yeah. who knows where he'll get picked up? He he definitely deserves how much a, he'll get picked up for. He definitely deserves a payday. It's just a matter of I think they're gross. Where he's gonna get it? Uh, the candy bar? Yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. Okay. I just I can understand if you don't like the one year if you want a longer contract, but that amount of money is not something to turn your nose up at. And the rea- even if you are an athlete. And and the reality of it is, take that money, come back. At the end of next season, if you perform well, trust me, there'll be more money. I think his concern is, is he going to be able to repeat the capability of performance from this past season? Albeit a shortened season. So, like, you really didn't get to see him stretch out, you know, for a whole 162 games. So Yeah. And uh, for Cincinnati, the right fielder Nick Castellanos mm-hmm. did not invoke an opt-out clause in his contract ahead of the deadline that would make him a free agent. He still has three years and $48 million remaining on his contract. Yeah. It's a lot of time and money. Yeah. Yeah. It, this this week was a lot of organizations going, we're not going to pay you these extra monies for the extra year on your contract. And a lot of players going, mm, I'm going to pass on whatever you're offering me. It was, I don't know how much more you have of that, but there was a lot. No, that was it. Okay. That's good because there were about 30 of those that existed. So those are the big ones for sure. Right. I don't know much about how contracts work with the MLB. They're a mess. So I was reading up on it and I didn't understand what was happening. All I know is there are people who are accepting the opt-out option and becoming free agents. And then there are those who are not. Yeah. And that's as much as I understood about the contract stuff that's been happening because it's the end of a season. So, of course, all the major deals and signings and opting in and out is happening. Yeah, so it was mostly teams going, no, we don't want you. And it was mostly players going, no, we don't want you or I don't want to be on your team anymore type situations. So there was a lot. And and we could talk to you guys for ages about it. But if you're really that interested in baseball, you probably already know about who's been cut and who's decided to stay. So it seemed like those were the two like big ones from what I read. Without a doubt. Yeah. But going back to the World Series a little bit, because I did have some more about that. We won't go into the pitching things. We'll stay away from that subject again. Sounds good. Um, but viewership as a whole for this World Series was down 
32% from last year. Weird. Yeah. You would think with people being home so much, it would be maybe viewed a little more, but yeah, it was pretty, pretty low. I am confused about why that is. Right. It was still very highly viewed in game six. It was only down like 6%, but the rest of it was pretty, pretty poorly viewed overall. And it's not even like there were other championships going on, like with the NHL playoffs where they had at least the NBA going at the same time. So it is a little strange to have such low viewership of it. But needless to say, after Blake Snow was pulled, Dodgers literally just ripped the Rays bullpen apart. Literally? Yeah, literally. They they walked out to the mound and ripped their arms off and said, listen, you're going to underhand me the ball with this other arm of yours and I'm going to head it out of the park. So it was it was a rough to watch that ending of that game. But the enjoyable part was all the fans in Arlington Stadium here at the new Texas Rangers Stadium booed MLB commissioner after he was introduced to give out the World Series trophy. He is probably one of the most hated commissioners in major sports. Did he do something? A lot of dumb things that people disagree with. The list goes on and on, but it's just... He's made a lot of decisions with baseball that have more or less made fans hate him more and more and more and more. And I personally don't have any direct reasoning for it, but he's just, nobody likes him. I'm not shocked that he was booed, to be completely honest. There were reports that even players were involved in the booing, but mm. they didn't really like... It's probably Name not a good idea when you're an active player in that <laughs> right. league. Yeah, booing the commissioner as an active player probably isn't the wisest decision in the world. And then Turner, who was, and this is a weird COVID story with this game, was removed in the second inning mm-hmm. after a positive COVID-19 test for that day came back. And he decided it was a wise decision to come on the field and celebrate with his team, pose for the team championship photo with no mask on within inches of multiple players. He also kissed his wife while holding the trophy, and it's like, oh, you don't respect your wife, clearly. Yeah, right. You just got told you're positive for the plague, and you want to kiss your wife. (laughs) Man, get out of that marriage as soon as possible. Like, some of the players came out and went, like, we understand why he came out, but at the same time, we kind of wish he didn't. So Well, now you have to worry about the whole team and whoever handles the trophy getting sick. Correct. And then last but not least, there were some signings also this week of managers. Okay. Um, I don't know if you had the notes on those. I did not. Okay. I didn't know they were called managers. Or I thought head, they were coaches. Or head coaches. But okay. yeah, they're, they're managers is the title in baseball. But Detroit Tigers hired A.J. Hinch to a multi-year contract. Most previously, he was the head coach in 2019 of the Astros. He was suspended from head coaching this season by the MLB due to his possible ties with the cheating scandal in Houston uh, because he was the head coach of that organization during that time. Yeah, maybe he had something to do with it. Yeah. Maybe. You would imagine he at least knew there was something going on. And then White Sox hired Tony La Russa as their new head coach. Tony La Russa hasn't been a head coach in the major leagues since 2011 he retired in that time he led the st louis cardinals to the world series three times in five years i believe was the correct number so he definitely has coaching prowess i'm a little concerned because he's he's very much anti-showboating and having fun which is exactly what the, the white Sox team was this past season it was all about having fun and just being like man we are literally the best we're gonna have a blast while we do this 
and I'm really concerned about how the dugout vibe is going to be. And I'm not the only one with those fears because a lot of Chicago sports writers are like, how is this going to work out with the team that is like notorious for showboating and having a blast, like bat flips and like high fives and like just laughing and having fun in the dugout with Tony La Russa coming in and going, Murr. Yeah. None of these things happen. Like, we are athletes, you know, and that's what I'm a little concerned about. I don't know that it's going to be good for the team vibe. Well, and I can understand that he's like, this is your job. We have to be in a work mindset or something like that. But at the same time, it's like, wasn't the whole point of sports to have fun? Yeah. And on top of that, we have a very young roster who are notorious for just wanting to really just play around and have fun and joke and like just all sorts of craziness in the dugout. And I'm really concerned that killing that vibe is going to kill the team morale as well. And that can really affect the way players play. Uh, Anderson is notorious for cracking jokes and then like calling shots and just being ridiculous, you know, and silly. And I honestly think a lot of it is being misinterpreted as poor sportsmanship when really they're just they're being silly. Let's just call it what it is. They're just trying to have fun. They're not being serious. They're not like talking trash to opposing players or anything like that. They're just having fun. And I don't think that should be a problem ever. I guess that might be an internal perspective because I am a White Sox fan, but you know, a little bias. At least you acknowledge your bias. Yeah. But that's all the MLB news I have. Is there somewhere you want to jump to next necessarily? We can go to the NBA if you like. Okay. So Steve Nash and Mike is it D'Antoni? Yeah. Have reunited in Brooklyn. The team announced that D'Antoni will be an assistant under Nash with the Nets. And what's crazy is I think you and I, we discussed it probably about two weeks ago when they signed Stoudemire as an assistant coach there as well. On top of that this week, they also signed 76ers offensive-minded assistant coach Ime Yudoka as well. So, like, the coaching staff, oof, like, I... I would not want to play the Nets. Like, just the prowess that's there is scary when it comes to coaching. Like, they're, they have two offensive, two very defensive-minded coaches now, and it's going to be exciting to watch this team, who didn't play very well last season but was really injury-prone. Like, they had probably about a third of their starting players injured last season. So I'm, I'm really excited to see what comes of this roster next year just because the quality of the coaching staff and the quality of players they have signed, it's going to be really interesting. I think they're going to be a really good team. It seems like everyone's meeting up in Brooklyn. Pretty much, right? And the Houston Rockets have hired Steven Silas to replace Mike D'Antoni as coach. Is that right? I don't think they've hired him yet. They put an offer on the table. Oh, okay. Um, the look you gave me was like, yeah. you are absolutely wrong. <laughs> I'm not, From what I'm not... I read, they... It said they hired him, but they you're extend, saying... They extended an offer to him. I didn't mean to give you that weird look, but... Freaking ESPN. Um, as far as I know, and that was as of yesterday, so... Unless you got your news this morning, which would be interesting. No. He's been an assistant coach for a number of years behind a lot of really good coaches, so I'm not shocked that he's finally getting his opportunity as a head coach. Yeah. And I really do think he's an okay option for Houston I'm a little concerned just because Houston's got some guys that really need that like stern figure and that's why when Mike D'Antoni left this year I was kind of shocked that they were going to go after a guy that really doesn't have head coaching experience yeah but it's kind of weird I guess 
We'll, we'll see what happens. Like, obviously, Houston still has talent on the roster, so they're, they're going to play good basketball. It's just a matter of whether the head coach can kind of keep everything in play because you do have a couple players who have pretty big egos in that roster. Uh-oh. And, like, they got along well last year, but, again, Mike D'Antoni is kind of the guy that, like, I don't put up with any of this crap. You better play as a team or get out, like, type attitude. So, like, uh, I don't know where You might have Steven some players questioning Silas, his authority. Yeah, I'm a little concerned about it just because, like, yeah, you've been a part of some really good teams as an assistant coach, but, like, I don't know. We'll, we'll see what happens. They could end up being one of the greatest teams. Who knows? Maybe this guy brings what that last little click needs to the, that roster. Who knows? But when it's a rookie head coach, it is a coin flip. You never really know what you're going to get. In that instance, wins or losses. On top of that, I do believe their general manager just got hired for player operations for the 76ers as well. So the team's without a GM now. They have a coach. So, like, they have to now go out and hire a GM. Too many new people at once can be a problem. Yeah, it's going to be weird. Like, I, I guess the good news is you got left with a good roster, like, as somebody who manages employees and not players. But, like, being handed a good team is always a good feeling. Like, I, I feel like when I left my old store, I did that. So I didn't feel as bad about somebody else coming in and doing it. But uh, I don't know. Just new, new, too many news, as you would say. Yeah. But I saw that the NBA and the Players Association agreed on Friday to extend the deadline for opting out of the CBA by one week, and that talks will continue in the interim regarding the numerous issues that have to be decided before the next season starts. But it looks like they want to start the next season on December 22nd or around then. Correct. And in order for that to happen, they really need to finish this soon. Yeah. And this is the fourth time they've extended the opt-out deadline since the pandemic started in March. Well, it it obviously made sense to extend it early on just because we didn't even know that we were going to be playing playoff basketball at that point, you know, originally when they extended it. But yeah, it, it becomes, I don't know, worrisome, I guess, that it's being extended so many times right now just because you kind of want to get a deal on the table so that you at least know next season's going to happen. And basically either side can opt out of playing the complete next season or continuing to delay talks. So I don't know. It, it, it reminds me a lot of what was going on with the MLB yeah. coming back from the pandemic. I think December 22nd is a weird time to try to return because you have to agree to all of this stuff. Then you have to set a time for the opening day. But then you also have to get a camp in for everyone to come back and get healthy and get organized together as a new team. Yeah. And I just, it's November 1st, the day we're recording this. That's like, what, six to seven weeks from now? Yeah. Is that enough time? And the expiration is November 6th for this current extension. Right. So So it was extended a week. So that makes it November 6th when they have to have come to this. Yeah. I really don't think they're going to be able to figure it all out 
Well, the good news is the camps have already been given a thumbs up. Like, you can start camps already. The NBA gave that permission last week. Oh, okay. So, currently teams can hold practices, workouts, and scrimmages with up to 10 players. They have to test negative the day of those practices or scrimmages. So, I don't know if they're giving them, like, a test the night before, and then when the results Probably. come back in the next morning, then they can come to practice. Probably. Um, but they are only allowing 10-player groups, which is technically enough for a full scrimmage five on five yeah but at the same time it's just you know you're not having the whole team there obviously yeah so. i also don't understand starting sports around christmas but i also really like christmas so that might just be a me thing the thing is though when and i know it's not this way in your family but it was in mine sports and christmas kind of go hand in hand like it, it's always around Christmas doesn't need anything else. You have Christmas. And the NBA has always played games around Christmas time. Like, they don't take a Christmas break like everybody else does. But then they can't be with their family. They usually travel with their families and, like, celebrate wherever they But COVID. Yeah. I'm telling you what they do (laughs) (laughs) pre-COVID. Obviously, the pandemic's going to affect what's going to happen. Oh, yeah. Without a doubt. So much so that the NBA is already investing in putting digital displays in most of the arenas in the NBA so that their fans can do that stupid, like, Skype fan thing. Yeah, Mm -hmm. like the Zoom fan calls. That's Um, dumb. You notice hockey did not do that. Yeah. I think it would be cool if, like, they set up a camera and then when you logged in, like, you got to see the perspective from that camera. But, like, it would have to at least tilt, like, or pan. It would have to pan left and right at least. And maybe a little bit of a tilt so, like, you could look up and down. Like, it could be a cool thing to sell, like, with, like, Oculus or something like that. If they partner with, like, virtual reality, I think that'd be pretty neat. But otherwise, yeah, I think it's kind of overkill. This is where we have reached the point where this non-sports fan is like, you're a little bit crazy. You know that, right? Because, no. Like, I, I obviously wouldn't pay for seats, but, like, if I could virtually be there and watch the game, I think that would be just as cool as watching it on television. But the camera angles are better than when you watch a game live. Like, we've discussed this through various places yeah. we've sat watching hockey games. Right. And various crowds that we've had to deal with at hockey games. Right. So, I don't know. That'd be weird. But moving on from that weird tangent, the majority interest of the Utah Jazz is being sold to a technology entrepreneur, Ryan Smith. When this is approved, or if this is approved by the NBA, this will end the Miller family's 35-year run as owners of the franchise. Yeah, I'm not shocked to see this happen. Obviously, Miller's owned it for so long, and... It's it's time, you know, to see a new owner come in, stimulate a little bit more money into the organization. I feel like you're starting to see turnover in, like, the long-term family ownerships of teams now. I don't know that I ever want to see the Bears leave the Hallis family, but I know after the current owner passes, it's probably going to happen. Like, I'm being a realist. I just don't think the rest of the Hallis family is as invested into football as the current owner is. Right. So I'm not shocked. Like the era of the 30 year ownership, you know, is kind of coming to an end for most sports organizations slowly, but surely you're starting to see a lot of investment groups go like, wow, there's a lot of return in major league sports. Maybe we should invest in this. Well, that's why I don't understand why families aren't staying with it. Maybe they don't have as, deep of pockets as they want but like the ROI is too high for me to think that's true so I don't know why they would want to give up ownership besides just not wanting to own the team anymore right 
But it still has to get approved by the NBA, which I didn't know was a thing. Any purchase has to be approved. So, like, the Mets deal, technically the offer was accepted by the MLB, but it wasn't accepted by the MLB owners yet. So that didn't happen until this week as well. So, like, it that was months ago. So it's the same situation. So... It, it could be a week, could be months before the owners get back and go, all right, well, you're cool with us, you know. And a lot of it has to do with the stigma of, like, what what are you bringing negative to the NBA owners? What are you bringing positive to the NBA owners group? All that kind of stuff. Like, That's weird. I feel like if you want to make a purchase, it should be between you and who you're buying it from. Right. But this sounds like, I don't know, a homeowner association sort of situation. It, it kind of is. It's, it's more or less to keep... People with money that could be bad press for the organization to be kept out. You know, they, they've they voted in the past to have owners removed, like the old L.A. Clippers loan, uh, owner who used the N-word multiple mm-hmm. times while he was on sideline of the court. So, I remember that, yeah. Um, it's the same situation. They're just trying to keep the bad juju out of the league, more or less, you know. And then the last thing that I think I have for this league is Milwaukee Bucks star Giannis. Mm-hmm. says that Disney is looking for actors to play him and his brother Thanasis yep. in an upcoming film about their family story. The film will be titled Greek Freak. That's his nickname. Yeah. Yeah. And it's going to be released on Disney+. Plus. No date has been set for the release. And I don't even think they've found actors yet. They haven't found actors, but they're expected to start production in early 2021 is what Disney's estimating right oh, now. okay. Because I don't think they're just looking for the two kids. I think they're looking for, like, everybody. The whole family, yeah. Yeah. Predominantly, the two kids have to look similar. Like, that's one of Giannis' stipulations on the contract, so... I think he sent a tweet out with, like, a photo of of him and his brother brother saying, if you look like us, try to get into this movie or whatever. Yeah. But that's all I had for the NBA. That's everything I had as well. It was kind of a slow week in the NBA. Well, I mean, technically... off season. (laughs) It is in the off season, so, like... I'm not really surprised there's not a lot of news from them. Yeah, right. It's far enough into the off season you don't have, like, major signings and stuff happening. Right. So we'll move on to soccer. And I have MLS news. I'm sure you don't. <laughs> the irony of that is you and I had a discussion this week of possibly interviewing athletes and... You were joking about who we should start with, and I was like, maybe in the MLS, and you just immediately were like, they would never do an interview with you because all you do is bat about the MLS. It's true. (laughs) I don't have any MLS news. I just have standings. Then Um, let me come into it for you. So Sundays, today's Minnesota United FC and Sporting Kansas City game was canceled after Minnesota United reported a second positive case of COVID for the week. This game isn't going to be rescheduled because MUFC's tight schedule won't allow for it. So it's just a scratch game, I guess. No one's won, no one's lost, it's just not playing. Yeah. I'm still surprised there are COVID cases popping up, but I really shouldn't be because no one's taking drastic measures like i feel like they should right yeah i'm not shocked by it anymore i've literally got a whole section for the nfl when we get to it so yeah it's just 
I'm not shocked anymore. Like we're seeing spikes starting back up in Europe again because they thought after their lockdowns that they were invincible. And the problem is people from outside of the community are coming into the city and then in turn spreading COVID again. And so I'm not shocked that a lot of these things are still affecting the soccer world internationally and in the United States. So I would say I'm bamboozled and shocked by some means, but I'm really not at all. And the LA Galaxy has fired their manager, Guillermo Barros Chiloto. Yeah, they're having the worst season in team history, so... The MLS's most successful club now sits in last place in the Western Conference with only three regular season games left. He was hired in January of 2019, and they did well for the rest of... or for that season that he was the coach for. And then... I don't know if it's COVID. I don't know if it's just things aren't working for them, but they fired the coach for it. Well, they drew out their most recent game yesterday, so they moved up one spot since you probably wrote down those notes. Oh, man. They're in 11th of 12 teams in the Western Conference with a 5-3-11 and record. So five wins, three draws, and 11 losses. It's not been a pretty year for the LA Galaxy, to say the least. Yeah. And right now, they're getting a better look at the playoff picture as a whole, but not all the teams are set in stone for who's going to be in the playoffs, so I didn't write them down to take note of who's in, who's not. Yeah. I'll come up with that list when it actually happens. Plus, you still have teams that have to play into the playoffs, so like... Well, and you have a lot of teams who have weird match play counts. So, like, most teams around 19 and 20 games played, but, like, Colorado's team has only played 15 matches. So, like, it's... When you have a year full of COVID and you can't reschedule all the games, you have weird things like this. Yeah, I'm, like, really confused as to how how these things are breaking down because, like, based on point standings, it's it's weird this year. I don't know how to put it. Like, there's... There's teams that have 35 points who are ahead of teams with 36 points, and it's just based off of win-draw-loss records. It's just, it's it's weird. Well, they also have to weigh out the games, sort of. So it's not a full, like, straight comparison the way that it normally, normally is. is. Yeah. So when we get around to the next recording for the sports, we'll probably have a way better picture of who's in the playoffs and who's not. Yeah, I've, I've been impressed by a couple teams kind of pushing into the playoff spots. Obviously, the Chicago Fire right now are just like right there yeah. in the 10th spot for a final series playoff so that they can actually make the playoff series themselves. And then FC Dallas jumped from like 10th to 6th in two weeks. So like they're, yeah. they're playing pretty well right now as well. So those are the two teams I've really seen make like big moves in the last couple weeks but otherwise the standings pretty much same core group in the top three or four teams just kind of going back and forth amongst each other but yeah that's all the mls stuff i have just the standings really so what about international soccer i know you think that's actually soccer Well, let me tell you about some exciting things called the Champions League, where real champions play. This week, we had some interesting ones. I basically just covered the big blowout and then our two teams because, again, we could talk about Champions League. We're in group stages right now. There's an almost unlimited number of matches still happening. But Dortmund recovered from their loss last week to 
uh, Lazio by winning against Zenit St. Petersburg 2-0. Both Jaden Sancho got a PK, and then you also had Erling Holland score in stoppage time. I think Erling Holland kind of needed it because his confidence really hasn't been the same that it was last season so far. Like, he's playing well, but he's not on that same, like, caliber of, like, the rookie sensation Erling Holland that you saw last year. So I'm I'm excited to see maybe that confidence building a little bit. He had a goal in his last Bundesliga game as well. So it's starting to get back to where it's just like he's going to score every game. It's just a matter of how many times in a game. And then Bayern Munich defeated Lokomotiv Moscow 2-1. to one. So Bayern Munich can draw or win in their next game and they'll be through to the next round. Whereas your team is kind of in a predicament where if you draw or lose, uh, you guys are out for the first time in the group stage, which is... It's weird for Dortmund. I can't remember in, like I said, recent history where that has happened. Even in the rougher seasons for Dortmund, it's never been that bad, necessarily. You guys have to beat Club Bruges, who drew against the team that you guys lost to. So I don't think Club Bruges is that amazing of a team. And I think if you play the way you did against Zenit St. Petersburg, you guys will be okay. I don't think it'll be a problem, but that'll be decided this week. So we'll see what happens. Manchester United manhandled Red Bull Leipzig 5-0. to zero. That's the, what we want to see. The big story behind this one was Marcus Rashford coming from the bench. He was brought on to the pitch in the 63rd minute as a player change, uh, a dual player change. You guys changed out two sets of players. But he scored in the 74th, the 78th, and the 92nd in stoppage time. So it's just like all of a sudden he came on the pitch and you guys' team came alive. I've always liked Marcus Rashford. I'm a big believer that he creates a lot of pace for your team. He's an inaccurate passer, but he's a great finisher. So if you get the ball to him and he's in a scoring position, odds are he's going to score. And I think that's where Manchester United was struggling for a really, really long time when they used him. They tried to have him create pace, which he can do, but his passes were just inaccurate enough to where it was just like, ah, do we really want him on the pitch? Yes, you do. Clearly, you want him on the pitch. Like, he can show up in those clutch moments if you put the ball on his foot. So that was the exciting stuff going on there. And then I have kind of the standing pitchers adjusting for the Premier League and the Bundesliga. As of this morning, thanks to a Newcastle United victory over Everton, Everton has dropped out of the first place spot. Finally. Relinquishing it to the defending champions, Liverpool. Um, Nah. Tied technically with the same amount of points, obviously different goal differentials. You have Everton, Southampton, and Wolverhampton. Wolverhampton Wolves have won, drawn only one game, and then won two others in their last five games. So they're starting to like flip that switch. into being a quality team out of kind of nowhere. Wolverhampton was not, again, expected to be a top-tier team again, but that seems to be the way the Premier League is working. We have one really big-name team, two technically now in the top five because Chelsea scooted up into the fifth slot this week. But, yeah, it's it's a weird weird top five still. Yeah, Manchester United, they are currently playing against Arsenal, so we'll see if they jump up today or not um arsenal sits in 12th manchester united in 15th and then you have city in 9th and newcastle after today's win moved to 10th so they're in the top half of the table now i think that might be pretty surprising well i'll be honest i think most newcastle fans didn't expect to be anything but near relegation all season long and bringing in fraser and callum wilson from bournemouth has really worked out for us Frazier is notorious for creating pace, and literally on one of the goals that he scored today, 
he just out-timed the run and outran the defenseman to score the goal. So it, it's just, they, they seem to be clicking together just like they were on their old team. And it's like, well, it kind of makes sense that two guys that connected for more than 60% of Bournemouth's goals last season probably figure out how to work together well on the same roster on a different team, you know. So I'm excited to see what continues to happen with Newcastle. We've only had one loss in our last five games, and that's that's refreshing considering what we were expecting this season. So I'm excited to say the least. And then in the Bundesliga, we are definitely back to normal in the top five. The top five teams are where they belong. You have Bayern Munich, number one right now, tied for points with Dortmund, but goal differential. That one four, freaking game. Four goals up on goal differential. Dortmund obviously is in second. You have Red Bull Leipzig sliding down after their first loss of the season down to third place. Bayer Leverskin in fourth and Borussia Mönchengladbach in fifth. So everybody's kind of starting to fit back where they belong. I and think it's a good feeling. you could really flip a couple teams here and I think it would make more sense than the way it is now. I mean, for instance, if you move the second place team into the first slot, that might be better. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, it could make more sense than the way the table looks now, but it's way better than it was before. I don't know that I'd be happy about that because I feel like once you get into first place, like every day you're going to find a reason to wear your, your Dortmund jersey just walking around the house be like, ha, ah, number one, first place. Like, if you didn't want me to wear it, you shouldn't have bought it for me. I bought it for you because I knew you <laughs> wanted one and I figured that was respectful. So, but if you didn't want me to wear it every day, shouldn't have rubbed Byron being him first in my face. I have different jerseys I can wear every day. So realistically, like you could have a different look at uh, first place all week long if you really want to. <laughs> Moving on. But that is all the soccer news I have for the week. So I don't know if you have anything else, but that's what I've got. Well, then let's move on to the sport I actually always want to start with and have not been able to. Okay. And then we're going to end it on the NFL. Sounds good. Okay. The Hockey Hall of Fame is going to delay honoring its six-member class of 2020 until November of 2021 and will not hold elections for new members next year. I didn't hear about the new elections part. I know that they were planning on having two different events originally was what was planned for the 2020 and 2021 elects, but that's crazy. I didn't realize that they weren't going to elect anybody in 2020. I mean... At some point, you'd get to a backlog if you don't yeah. do that. So I feel like you kind of have to. Yeah. In this past June, the Hall elected Marianne Hosa, Jerome Iginla, mm -hmm. Kevin Lowe, Doug Wilson, and St. Pierre. I don't have the first name. For the players category. And Ken Holland for the builders category. I don't know what a builders category is. General manager. Okay. Why don't they just say that? Yeah, I don't know. So we, we've we got them elected, but I guess we haven't done the thing for them. Yeah. So that'll be next year. I'm excited to see it. I would. I'm. I really do want to watch Big Hoss get elected into... I was going to say, you have so many Hosa jerseys. And, and I'm actually excited to also possibly have the chance of having him signed to a one-day contract. So when he does go into the Hall of Fame next year, he'll be there as a Black Hawk under contract. That would be nice because his contract expires in Arizona after this season. So, holy, that would be really cool. Tyler Sagan's surgery to repair a torn labrum in his hip has been delayed, which means that it looks like the forward might be out for up to an extra month of this next season if the season starts when they plan for it to start right. on January 1st. 
And it's already expected to take four months after the surgery for him to come back and be back on the ice. But his surgery keeps getting delayed because here in Dallas, coronavirus keeps spiking and going up and up and up. So he's he's not something they consider an essential surgery. So they keep pushing it back. Yeah. They're hoping that it'll happen in the next week, maybe two weeks at the most is what the team's looking for, but I think there might be a chance it's going to take longer than that. Yeah, considering like even our county, and I won't name it because I don't want people like hunting us down, they had their worst death number from COVID two weeks ago. Yeah. So it's just, you know, as somebody who's still deemed an essential worker, I guess, which really isn't a term anymore that exists. I think everybody more or less is working in some capacity, at least in the retail world. It bothers me still seeing so many people like arguing about wearing masks and things like that. And I'm like, it's such a simple thing. I don't understand how we can't get it under control. And, And seeing it obviously bothers me a lot. We aren't getting it under control because we don't have a president who takes it seriously, even after getting the virus. And as someone who has gotten the virus, I really don't understand that because I still have respiratory issues and I've been healthy for five months. So like, or over it for five months. I don't know about healthy. I still can't breathe right. (laughs) So, I mean... Who knows when Sagan's going to have surgery? It's going to probably be a while, is my opinion. Who knows? But it'll be about four months after his surgery that he can even really come back into it. But Sagan hasn't missed a regular season game since the 2015-2016 season. So I'm sure he's chomping at the bit and just wants the surgery over with. He would probably be doing that anyway, but... Especially, he's a very competitive guy. I'm not shocked that he wouldn't be like at the door of the hospital every day going, like, today. In reality, as someone who's gone to a handful of games at the AAC, I would not mind him not being there at the start (laughs) because he throws freaking temper tantrums. He's a little brat. I'm sorry. I don't know if it's just because, like, he's a hot headed hockey player, so I have no respect for him, or if it's the temper tantrum he throws i think it's internal competition like he gets so fired up that like his emotions just are at extremes and i've I've seen a lot of players do that in the past basically i want to hear he's a pretty mellow dude off the ice so like it's just he gets so in the zone that his emotions are just unbalanced and you have to be responsible for yourself on and off the ice in my opinion like this is gonna be a weird comparison but like (laughs) <laughs> abusers are still abusers, even if they're not oh, in the act of abusing people. Stop it. That's a bad I'm, comparison. I'm just saying, yeah. okay, a werewolf is still a werewolf, whether <laughs> he's in his werewolf form or not. Is that a better comparison? Yes, because he's not an abuser. I didn't think he was an abuser. I know, but you shouldn't connect those words with anybody that isn't. Like, it's just, it's frowned upon in, in my mind, and I'm sure everybody else's. I'm just saying, your anger issues on the ice are still who you are as a person off the ice. I don't, it's just buried. Yeah, I don't know that that's true. Uh, but oof. after that comparison, I don't know where we go after that. Well, we can stay on the stars. Okay. Rick Bonus agreed to a two-year contract to return as the coach of the Dallas Stars on Thursday. Yeah. He was promoted after Jim Montgomery was fired on December 10th of 2019 for unprofessional conduct. Yep, his unprofessional conduct got him an assistant managing position with the Blues. So, oh, Montgomery. Anyways, yeah, it 
it's good to see him get rid of that interim head coach title. Like, he, he deserves it, clearly, without a doubt. Like, he brought a team that Montgomery more or less left in shambles. They were starting off one of the worst few games of their career, like, as an organization. Like, they for the year, they were playing so poorly. And Bonus kind of came in and was like, all right, guys, let's go back to the basics. You know, slow it all down, and yeah. this is how we're going to fix these things. And we're going to put in an effort, and it's going to suck, but it's we're going to get better. And, and it worked, clearly. Got them all the freaking Stanley Cups. So, you know, can't be upset. So I, I think it's very well deserved. I think him and Hudobin probably deserve their contracts more than anybody else in that organization this year. So yeah. it's good to see the ownership noticing that. Another person with the Dallas Stars with a contract signing is Julius Honka. I, I Sounds was made you, up. I, I was really hoping you were going to make like a Honka Honka joke or something like that. Like... You know, no, because of his weird last name. But he was signed to a one-year, two-way contract with the Dallas Stars on Friday. The financial information hasn't come out, which is kind of weird. But this is a player who requested a trade from the Stars prior to training camp in 2019, and then played in Finland last season. Yep. So he's coming back to a team that he wanted to trade from, which I don't fully understand. He but. was originally drafted 14th overall by Dallas in 2014 and has not really been anything but a flop for the organization. So That happens sometimes. Yeah. Like, he's been good, but he's not a first-line defenseman, and that's usually what you hope you get in a top-20 pick, usually yeah, speaking. Yeah. So, uh you know, we'll see how he plays, if he plays like he wants to be in the NHL or if he plays like he wants to be in Finland again, so. Well, it's just weird that he requested the trade out of Dallas, and then he's coming back. Right. But right. it's a two-way contract, so technically they could go down to, like, the minor, the AHL. Yeah, that's probably where he'll be most of his career with this contract, so. Who knows? Yeah. And then I have a couple Maple Leaves signings. So They were busy this week. The two that I saw were Michael Hutchison mm-hmm. signed a two-year, two-way contract with the Toronto Maple Leaves on Friday with an annual value of $725,000 at the NHL level. I don't know how that translates when they go down to the minor leagues. Right. It might just be that the AAV is like just not affecting the cap for Toronto when he's down in the minor leagues. Yeah. And then they also signed a forward Joey Anderson to a three-year two-way contract on Friday with an annual value of $750,000 at the NHL level. Yeah, so he his first two years are a two-way. The third year is a one-way contract oh, okay. being in the NHL. But, yeah, he kind of needs to prove himself, I think. But at the same time, it's... It's not a bad contract for him. Last year in the NHL, he was mediocre at best. You know, it's it's not a bad contract. I think to be a part of this Maple Leafs organization who's starting to really solidify their, their missing pieces from last year. I know I don't really like to root for Canadian teams, but I think the Maple Leafs are going to be a good team. I think the Senators are going to be a good team this year. I think the Senators, more than the Maple Leafs, are going to be someone you need to watch out for. I think you'll be shocked to see that the Maple Leafs play really, really well. But um, Maybe I will be. Yeah. But, yeah, those were the two big signings that I saw as well. The Maple Leafs signed a couple other minor leaguers for the AHL, but it wasn't anything really major. But uh, we'll see what comes of a lot of these guys. A lot of these minor league contracts, you just don't know what what's going to come of it. Like, it could be a guy that ends up being a really great prospect and playing good hockey. But, you yeah. know, those were definitely the bigger names for sure. Yeah. 
There were some other big signings this week other than those three that you've discussed. The Jets re-signed Sammy Niku for two years with an AAV of 725000 He was a second and third line defenseman for them this year. And he usually logged anywhere from 16 to 20 minutes a game. So he was on the ice a lot. A pretty dependable defenseman based on what I was reading. And then the Sabres re-signed Victor Olofsson to a two-year contract with an AAB of $3.05 million. Getting into the bigger contracts. Right. And then the one that surprised me, and another reason I think the Senators are going to be good, because this player played reasonably well for you guys in Pittsburgh. Galchenyuk got signed yeah. to a one-year $1.05 million contract. I really think the Senators continue to kind of build the right pieces in the right places. It's going to be weird seeing the Senators be a good team this year. It really is, and... I mean, you gotta see it to know that, but well, the pieces are there. A couple of years ago, I called Carolina's reign to come to fruition, and they started playing really, really good hockey. And last year, I called the Florida Panthers, and honestly, hadn't it been for an early losing streak where the players weren't really meshing yet? Yeah. They were also an almost unstoppable force in, in their division, so... I, I think the Senators are going to be my sleeper this year. That's just going to do some work, like the most improved, I think, from last year. So That's possible. Yeah. Um, did you have any more signings? I have a couple more. I just don't want to cover nope. them all. You had Hayden Fleury signed by the Carolina Hurricanes to a two-year $2.6 million deal. That was done the day before his arbitration hearing. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. So just pew, right in there, just squeaked it in. And then the Red Wings' Tyler Bertuzzi, did go to the arbitration hearing. He had the first one of all the players oh, okay. uh, originally scheduled. That's nerve-wracking. Um, he originally asked for a $4 million one-year contract, and the Red Wings were willing to give him a $3.15 million contract. They met roughly in the middle. It okay. was $3.5 million is what he's going to end up getting for one year um, after the arbitration hearing. And then the Avalanche signed Devin Taves to a four-year contract with an AAV of $4.1 million. And Devin Taves is the other Taves that was the number one line defenseman that was paired with Nick Letty in on the Islanders for the last couple of years. I'm kind of excited to see him in a new place. I'm hoping to see him and maybe Kale McCarr on the same line. I think that would be really exciting. But those are all the signings I have. But I also have more NHL news, so I don't know if you nope. have any more else. On the news of Dallas Stars, they announced their new blackout jerseys. I don't oh, know if you saw yeah. those things. I tried to repress that. That's awful. Neon green with, like, midnight black color. Like It looks like someone tried to chug one of those... Um, glow you break them. Yes. Someone <laughs> tried to chug a glow stick, but ended up vomiting. Up and, the Dallas Stars logo. And that's what it was. Yeah. On the jersey. Uh, I think it's interesting. Like, it's a cool, like, thing to buy and own, I feel like, as a hockey fan. But I don't know if I'd ever wear it. Like, proudly anyways. And you definitely would have to carry around a silver Sharpie with you to get it autographed. Because, like... That's all that would be used for. Yeah. Is you buy it to get it autographed and then you put it in a display case. And that's all it's there for. Because yeah. no one wants to wear this. It looks like garbage. And then in other hockey news, the AHL has announced that their season will start on February 5th. They still have to come in agreement as to how they're going to play games with Canadian teams right now because the Canadian government is still not allowing athletes from other countries to come into the country and play. Well, why should they? Unless they quarantine for X amount of days. So the AHL's 
testing the waters with possibly trying to find other arenas for these four Canadian teams to play in so that the teams can play in bubble-like environments, not like playoff bubbles, but like where the players are required to stay in the hotels together and travel as a team on the same plane and not via public transportation. So it's interesting to see what's going to happen because obviously AHL teams don't have as much money to pay for these private charters and things like that that right. the NHL teams do. So it's going to be weird seeing that. But it's one of the stipulations the AHL is working on for their return to play. And then the Ontario Hockey League is planning to start its season February 4th, the day before the AHL. And the Ontario Premier, which is, I guess, like the governor of their state of Ontario, Doug Ford supports body checking in the OHL, return to play program that the OHL is trying to pass and allow but the head of sports and competitions like it's an actual job I guess in the Ontario government they are currently not allowing body-to-body contact for return to play options for the state of Ontario so the Ontario Hockey League is they want players to be able to hit each other and like all that currently would be allowed by the gaming I guess commission of the the state or province technically because they're canadian they're not states they're provinces but they're only allowing stick checking no body contact and i'm like how are players gonna avoid that in hockey like they have to fight for the puck they can't not be making like they can't have you watched the sport at all right they can't make incidental contact they can't make purposeful contact is the way it's being written right now and it's just like at that point why even play like why even play the game it makes no sense. I don't know. It's a mess. But currently the OHL has plans to return with no contact because that's what they're required to do. So, that's dumb. Yeah. I, I don't disagree. I don't know how you do that. Me neither. It's not going to be interesting to watch. That's for sure. The contact is not the interesting part of this sport, but is a necessary part. Right. So I will not understand that at all. And then that's all I have for the NHL. So it sounds like we're moving on to the American football. The National Football League. No more American Football Leagues. They don't exist. I didn't say American Football League. I just said American Football. Right. As of last night, there were no new positive COVID cases after Friday's round of league-wide testing ahead of today, so week eight of play. So this comes a week after four teams produced positive test results. So I don't know. It's still sort of a mixed bag. I broke it down, as you would say, Barney-style a little bit on the COVID spread that was going on. The Chargers were affected this week after Ryan Groy received, uh, who's a reserve offensive lineman, tested positive. So they're doing everything digitally, workouts and practices. Okay. The Giants offensive lineman, Will Hernandez, tested positive for COVID-19. All players in contact with him have had two negative tests as of Friday, so that's hence why there are no new positive tests there. Um, the Giants and Bucks game will not be affected by this, obviously, because there was nobody else that tested positive from their organization. The Texans also shut down their training facility after a COVID-19 test. Uh, the convenience for the Texans is it is their bye week this week, so it really doesn't make a difference if they're not practicing this week because they don't have a game to practice for. So hmm. that worked out in their favor a little bit to have their first positive COVID test hit them. But it seems like it's almost all offensive linemen because even for the Texans, it was an offensive guard that uh, came down with COVID. So it's probably because they have their hands up on everybody. Like I could imagine that would be the reason that they may be coming down with it. I thought it was because everyone was making out in the locker room. 
No. Am I wrong? I think you're wrong. Oh, okay. <laughs> but that's all the COVID news I have this week. Uh, like you said, on Friday, all the tests came back negative. Right. So. And there's going to be another round of results produced before the games today yeah. on Sunday. But as far as I saw, all the games were on track. But Yeah, nothing's been rescheduled this yeah. week. Everything's where it should be. But New England Patriots wide receiver Julian Edelman will be out for the next three games at a minimum, they're saying. The team is expected to place him on IR following knee surgery. I don't know how you have knee surgery and then come back within four games. Like, I I would expect a much longer minimum that he's going to be out. Yeah, so he's saying the expectation is more than that. The coaching staff and medical staff are like, no, three games, it'll be fine. And... Yeah, that's kind of where I'm at with it, too. I think it'll probably be way longer. And this is one of my things that I don't like about sports is that they try to come back too soon, end up re-injuring themselves, or they're not competing at the level they need to be, and then your team goes down the hill all because you wanted to come back sooner than you should have. Right. But I think for once, Edelman's like, he's more like, I need to be realistic and know that, like, if it's a possibility that I can come back, great. But if it's not, then I need to take the time to be better. Right. Which is unlike most athletes. In fairness, the Patriots are doing okay overall in the NFL standings. It's not like they're by any means in a bad situation, but, well, they're two and four. I correct myself. The Patriots are doing awful. Mm Mm-hmm. So maybe take the time. You could spin it as they've won a third of their games. They have, yeah. Yeah. That also means they've lost two-thirds of their games, but still. Correct, yeah. I just think you need to take the time when you're injured or you're going to be in a worse situation after the fact. I can agree with you wholeheartedly on that. It's just like if your team's not doing well particularly, there's no reason for you to rush back to right. to having a losing record. You know, I would I would let it lie. I, I think the team's more concerned about getting him back to try to come back come back from this record. Yeah, I think we're too late in the season for that. But they're six games in out of thirteen, right? Uh, yes, yeah. So yeah, you're halfway through the season almost. Yeah. I don't think that's a good idea to try to force him back too soon. Right. I could understand that. Yeah. So there's 16 games, actually. Oh, okay. So, yeah, they're, it's, there's 10 left. They're on the back, basically coming into that back half. So, but yeah, there's, I just, I would honestly take it easy. If you're already two and four, just make sure that you're healed properly. And if your team does start to make a comeback, then you're more useful to them come the playoff time because you're fully healed instead of like 80%. Right. But there have been some signings this week. One controversial one, Antonio Brown with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Helmet uh, guy? Yeah, helmet okay. guy. Yeah. I know last week we talked about the rumors of there being a possibility that he was going to be signed. And shortly thereafter we recorded, he was <laughs> signed by the Buccaneers. It's just another offensive piece for Tom Brady to throw to, so I'm not shocked. He had his first practice this week with the team uh, after... Testing negative for COVID-19. They weren't going to let him practice until that he had the full physical and all those things done. So, Which I think is smart considering he's been outside of the bubble the team has been trying to partake in. So, We also had Ravens extending Ronnie Stanley for five years. His contract is valued at $98.75 million, but it can max out based on performance up to $112.866 million. And the cherry on top with that one, 70 mil guaranteed. So. I don't understand guaranteed money. I think it's stupid. Yeah. 
Uh, and there were some trades as well. The Bengals traded Carlos Dunlap to the Seahawks. The Bengals are receiving 7th round pick and offensive lineman B.J. Finney. Don't know much about B.J. Finney. I, I don't think I've ever heard his name before. But okay. a 7th round pick and a player for a player, I just, I don't know. Seems weird. Um, and then the Cowboys traded defensive end Everson Griffin to the Detroit Lions. The Cowboys would receive a conditional draft pick believed to be a 6th round pick. Could become a 5th round pick based on performances. Hmm. So that's the interesting news I have other than one more thing about a Chargers player. So if you have something else, I'll let I you know. I have something me. else that I don't think is about a Chargers player, but right. I could be wrong. I, it, his team wasn't in the thing. Okay. So free agent kicker Aldrich Rosas, Rosas has been suspended four games for violating the NFL's personal conduct policy. It's a result of him getting charged with three misdemeanors following a hit-and-run accident on June 15th. Interesting. So. Yeah, if he's a free agent, he will have to sit those four games whenever he gets signed, wherever he gets signed, if he does. Okay. So, there'll be no punishment now, but But down the line there will be. That'd be weird to try to get signed with that hanging over your head, because you'd have to take a lesser payday, wouldn't you? Yep. Because no one wants to get someone that they have to wait a month for. Right. But yeah, Justin Herbert, the rookie sensation quarterback for the Chargers, who's getting his starting opportunity because the previous quarterback was stabbed with pain medication through his lungs. Oh, right. I remember that. Was one of 100,000 residents evacuated due to the wildfires currently plaguing Southern California. Him and uh, I believe it was like another dozen staff and players were also evacuated. And they're all currently shacked up at a hotel with each other. Shacked up makes it sound shady. They're all like all the rooms are connected. No, I don't know. They're just, <laughs> they're, they're in the same hotel because yeah. they're trying to bubble them out at least a little bit. So I'm excited to see what comes of that guy. Originally, I know that my GM wanted his team to draft him instead of Tua. Tagaloa? No, anyways. Tua? Tua from Alabama last year. But at the same time, I think Tua is going to be a better quarterback long term. But Herbert was the starting quarterback for Oregon. And Oregon's been a dominant team over the last couple of years underneath his leadership. So I'm kind of excited to see the LA Chargers. I, it just sounds so dirty coming out of my mouth saying that the, the San Diego Chargers, now LA Chargers, uh, starting quarterback. So... Grandpa, you gotta get with the time. Teams move. Yeah, the Tampa Bay Devil Rays. You know, I'm just stuck on all these old Old names. When you're in your 80s, you're gonna be calling for teams that don't exist anymore. Yeah, it'll it'll just be like in my day, the Atlanta Thrashers. You know, type stuff. But yeah, on that note, that we're making fun of how old I am. I think we'll leave it at that. And we'll catch you next week, guys. Make sure you guys check out all the social media, which will be linked in the show notes. And we'll see you on Thursday for the book podcast. Bye, guys. Bye.